This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. We got our buddy, Don Burdick, Olafun Energy, in the house, Happy down from here. Tulsa. Down from Tulsa. We feel honored. So I actually want to kick this off with a little story. Uh-oh. Right? All right. So the year is, I don't know, I think it's 2018. Colin and I had huge ambitions of being a oil man back then, right? Beautiful. And so I was like, all I want to do is just own some wells. Like, is that too much to ask for? And so uh, I went to an SPE event that you were speaking at, along with oh, David Ramsenwood. I remember that event. And uh, the guy from Rockcliffe Energy, can't remember his name. And I think one Alan. other gentleman, Alan. Yep. yep. And then one other gentleman. It was how to raise money from private equity or how to start a private equity backed. So they had some EMP. guys that knew things, and then I was also there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so it's good I balance. Mean, that, the, <laughs> good balance. The house was absolutely packed. There was people standing on both sides or whatever. And so I was, I was literally. I mean, I had like 15 pages of notes. I was like cleaning on every word that you guys were oh, saying. That's awesome. Because I was like, we're gonna do this. And so lo and behold, eventually we didn't, we didn't get any kind of private equity sponsor. We didn't really even go down that path, but we did start a little stripper well operation. Beautiful. We got that. And we lost a ton of money. Belt. So it became real oil money. Exactly. <laughs> we lost a ton of money on that. So just want Following you to know Aubrey that- Aubrey McClendon, our, our hero in yeah, that regard. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so you played a part in that and you inspired How that How fun a is that? Bit. So it's funny to see it all kind of like come full circle. Thank you so, for telling that. That's, yeah. that's, uh, that's a great, that's a great intro. So tell us, uh, you know- We'll, we'll dive into your background, but I know nothing about what you guys are doing. Are yeah. you guys, is this a traditional EMP company that you're running? Boy, or we're what, not what traditional. You, no. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> actually, or maybe we're, maybe we're completely old school. So, uh, Oliphant 2 is a, uh, the, I'm happy to say this, the successful operator of, of, a uh, uh, you know, 30 or 40 wells in the, uh, in the Anadarko basin with the uh, non-op interest and another couple hundred or so. It's a consequence of an acquisition we made from Aventive that we did in 2020. In fact, secured the winning bid at the end of April of 2020 when the virus was hitting yeah. maximum uh, fun. Yeah. And, uh, and so we built this company and closed on the asset in September of 2020. So it was all, a, you know, we're we're a company out of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and we financed it in the simplest of ways. Um, a local bank provided the debt instruments. Would you look at that? And and who Andy Levinson, hey Andy, if you watch this show here, <laughs> dude, you made it happen for us. Thank you very much. Um, and then a, a family office out of California. Chris Lackner, you're probably watching this too. Forgive my little uh, thing, but <laughs> Chris, I got a bromance with you, dude. I mean, you made this happen too. So <laughs> two individuals, uh, Andy, who being Tulsa-based, the relationship uh, was mm -hmm. enhanced with face-to-face -face opportunities, but the family office was all through emails and phone calls. Wow. And which is pretty crazy mm -hmm. to imagine, you know, in, in our business, yep. we're so relationship-oriented, but we developed a, a um, I think a, a good, good affection for each other, uh, for the business plan, mm -hmm. uh, a confidence and trust that uh, uh, came together, uh, resulting in an investment. Um, and, uh, and I can happily say that, I'll, I'll put it this way, Andy, uh, 
described to me a couple of months ago. He said, you guys were the largest individual loan in our bank's portfolio, and you're the best performing. That's so awesome. that. That's it's, awesome. it's delivering, and we're That's very awesome. grateful for those people who took a chance with us. We were nine yeah. guys, nine guys and gals with a dream, and they took a chance on us, and uh, we're trying you to delivered. reward Love them it. for that. Yeah. yeah. So you're a geologist by trade. We were talking about I that am, before yeah. we got the mic. Yeah, yeah. Kind of walk us through, like, how'd you, I mean, how'd you, how'd you get in the wheel patch to start off with? Sure. Didn't know a thing about it. Yep. So a kid born in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, New Jersey, New Jersey, Man. yeah. What the heck? Um, and but grew up in North Carolina. Okay, and I mean, grew up on bluegrass and and my riding ponies. I mean, I had a girlfriend, I had a horse horse farm, and all of that sort of thing. But uh, also grew up watching Jacques Cousteau. Not everybody knows that name anymore, but he had the Jacques Cousteau special, scuba diving across the world. Mm -hmm. This French uh, um, uh, marine biologist. I thought, man, that's what I want to do. So I ended up going to school. So I went to Duke uh, undergrad there in North Carolina, and I thought, I'm going to be a marine biologist. And then I looked at the curriculum. Because Duke's got a, a strong pre-med program. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm going to take all the same classes as these pre-med wired-up guys who are just in a competitive race to go be a doctor, and I have no interest in that. And I'm going to go – take the same classes in the same competitive environment to get a degree that pays me $5,000 a year. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe marine biology isn't the right way to go, but I really want to do this. Hmm. So I take a geology course and had one of these professors who lured you in with beautiful mm -hmm. slides of climbing mountains and camping and <laughs> scuba diving was a part of the whole deal. I went, oh, maybe this is an angle. Still had no idea about the oil patch. Really didn't. So I take a couple of classes. I like it. I learn about the oil patch a little bit. It's very foreign to me, but okay, mm -hmm. there's a job. And then as a sophomore, I go off on a Marine, uh, the RV Eastward. We left from Beaufort, North Carolina. I'm a grunt undergrad serving as the on-ship slave to the grad students and professors. <laughs> and we spend 10 days at sea going down to Puerto Rico, taking some deep sea piston cores. And I'm 10 days in the ocean on a boat going, my gosh, I can get a degree doing this stuff. I am a geologist. <laughs> then I started figuring out, okay, you get, there is a job. And, and I came out to OU for grad school, which was a great stepping stone to yep. an oil patch and was fortunate, extremely fortunate that in the, in, in the fall of 84, I got hired by marathon to go to Midland, Texas. Now I'm right in the heart of the oil patch, learning about all the, the, the way things work out there, the entrepreneurial culture. I had yeah. no idea how entrepreneurial oil and gas people are. And I, mm -hmm. I'm, again, so lucky, so fortunate to have stumbled into this career and meet people who, regardless of what you do in the oil patch, it's people when problems arise, they don't go, oh, who's going to help me? <laughs> it's like, well, shit, we're in a hole. How well, do we get, out and get it? it done? And they do. And mm -hmm. that's, the, I mean, these are people who solve problems. And- to be able to be associated with these kind of folks in the oil patch, I just thank my lucky stars every day that that I stumbled yeah. into this thing. Yeah. So that, that's how it worked. So you were in Midland. I mean, this is in the middle of the 80s. Yeah. It's, you know, right wicked, before 85. Yeah, wicked mm. bust. You know, yeah. Midland goes through a ton of turmoil. The crash of 86. During that time. Yeah. And then what happened after Midland? You go up to Tulsa? Yeah. So 10 years with Marathon. That's where I started. Okay. Love the company. 
as a big, it was a, it was a family. It seemed like a family or, I mean, the people knew each other mm-hmm. and cared for each other. So I was, uh, again, very fortunate to be able to start with that particular, uh, big company. I'm learning. I mean, I didn't know what a well log was. I get hired out of school and they say, okay, we're correlating some well logs. I'm like, yeah, what's that? <laughs> what so, is a well log? So the, yeah, we so the training was critical and yep. they offered that at that time. So I get a lot of training. I'm doing well site duty. I'm, I'm learning, at, you know, logging classes, et cetera, et cetera. I was in an exploration group and eventually I generated some prospects and we, I drilled some dry holes and I drilled some successes. So I'm, <laughs> I'm I, you know, got both sides of the equation covered. But after 10 years at Marathon and going through the first round of layoffs, which was the 86 crash, and then three more layoffs at Marathon during my 10-year career there. The last one was one where they said, we know morale has been destroyed. And a lot of folks are experiencing that today. <laughs> yep. Morale is tough. You know, it's, oh, do I have a job? Maybe I've survived this round, but the next one's coming mm-hmm. in six months. What the heck? So Marathon said, we don't want to keep destroying morale, so we're going to do this. We're going to have a voluntary severance package. Here's what your package looks like, your customized package, and everyone in the company is eligible to take it or not. And let's see if we get enough staff reduction by a voluntary basis rather than a forced layoff. Mm-hmm. So I admired them for that. I mean, it's like we we don't want to force situations and so at that time, I had an engineer buddy who was working for Samson up in Tulsa. He had been at Marathon before and had taken a job, uh, as I was saying earlier, part of the uh, 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 Oil and Gas Commission goon squad. We were, he, he was an expert witness, and they needed a geologist, a dedicated expert witness for, um, for Samson to fight their cases at the Corporation Commission. And I thought, hmm. So Dave calls me up. Hey, Don, I heard about the package. Why don't you take it and come up here and interview? All right. So I went up there. I interviewed. <laughs> Uh, we were talking about being afraid. This was a job. I'd never sat in a witness stand and been cross-examined by an attorney whose highly paid job was to destroy my credibility. (laughs) That's what they do. And I'm like, hmm. Uh, And so that's what this job would be. Samson had an amazing attorney who would beat me up worse than any other attorney. So I was already knew where the bruises were going to come from and the weaknesses were. And so Samson... It's having these battles with Oklahoma Corporation Commission, which is the regulatory body for oil and gas. Yeah. So the regulatory body, what will happen is, let's say, Samson and Marathon will have a disagreement about whether or not to do an increased density well in a section or a location exception or whatever it might be. So if the two companies can't work it out, let's take it to court. And so that's where we go. So that job was to defend, from a technical basis, the Samson position. So it scared the freak out of me, and I thought, <laughs> um, man, I don't know, but I got this package, and David's a good friend, and I bet I get better at my profession or 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 become a carpenter because uh, <laughs> it gets beat out of me. So I take that job. I move to Tulsa, and uh, long story short, the town, so the size of it, the culture of it, the weather of it, it all just kind of appealed to this kid from with North Carolina roots, so I, I, I kind of stayed there. Yeah. So how long did you stay at Samson for? Samson was a three and a half year adventure. Um, were they as were they as big then as they kind of they were before bankruptcy? Yeah, they were growing. Okay, uh, it was a they were a powerhouse growing. at one point. They in time. were. I mean, there were you know Russian investments. They had mm-hmm. they had stuff there. They were, you know offshore, all over the uh, the U.S. basin. So yeah, yeah, they, it was a. Uh, 
Charles Schusterman, the founder of Samson, was a, you know, another one of our many oil patch legends and entrepreneurs and guy who, who created wealth for himself and many, many others. Yeah. I have to ask, do you have any good yeah. stories about him? You know. <laughs> Nothing can be shared on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all not PG. <laughs> yeah. I, I, no, no nothing, nothing in particular um, uh, there. It's just at, at that stage, you know, I was, you know, he, he was so, he was a billionaire already yeah. at the time, and I was a little grunt in the organization. So my interactions were limited. Yeah. But um, I mean, he really, he, as an organization, both what he did with oil and gas and what he did in the community, mm-hmm. he's left a great legacy. So that's yeah, awesome. He was, he was a, he was, he was a good guy to be around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have this, this, kind of nonlinear path to oh, that's know, for coming sure. from, you know, from <laughs> New Jersey, end up in Oklahoma, get in on oil and gas, just kind of, you know, by chance and learn the, the industry from the ground up through yeah. geology, essentially. And so let's fast forward to today. Yeah. You know, what led you to starting an EMP, going down <laughs> that path and... You know, how did you guys come up with the team to do that? Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. go. Let's, you know, give that SPE, how to start a, start yeah. an EMP yeah. conversation. Well, all like over you said, again. this is, this is Oliphant 2. Oliphant 2. Right. Yep. So we got the whole story Oliphant 1. Where are we at? <laughs> where, where are we at? So, so, so wait, so start with a one or two or where you want to start? Wherever you want to start, man. <laughs> well, so, well, I mean, I feel like so, let's, let's start with one and then we can work our way to two. <laughs> okay. So here's, here's a fun, this is, and, and if there's anything valuable out of this story, maybe, maybe this is it. Mm-hmm. Which is ten years ago. I was I was looking at the calendar because I was talking with someone else about this. Ten years ago, I sat down with Michael Stoltz of SFC Energy Partners, a private equity firm out of mm-hmm. Denver, mm-hmm. and I said, Michael, um, and I was the uh, I was at the time the A and D geologist at Laredo Petroleum. Okay, I said, Michael, I think I sort of know, but help me out here. What's the difference between an A share and a B share? And what's a waterfall in private <laughs> equity? So the point of that is I really didn't know. I'm a geologist, okay? Yeah. And, and I really was trying to be a good geologist. Mm-hmm. Make good maps. And identify where to drill. But obviously the entrepreneurial bug, it kind of bit you a little bit. Absolutely. Okay. But, but so, so that's kind of my point. It, it, I started thinking, well, how do I turn myself from just saying I'm a geologist who knows oil and gas and is aware of the business to say, maybe I'm a businessman who has a geology background and is in oil and gas. So shifting the emphasis a little bit, but realizing I'm an ignoramus uh, in the (laughs) business world. So I got a lot to learn. And and I say that because in, in my personal little journey here, 10 years ago, I'm asking that fundamental question. And now for whatever it's worth, you know, CEO. I mean, let's not get too carried away with what that means, but a partner in a group uh, with a group of men and women who have built a multi-million dollar oil company. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. If I can do it, you can too, man. I mean, it's not that, it's, yeah. it's not that. So, so, um, yeah, what was the question? So, Oliphant One. Oh, uh, Bill Martin, a reservoir engineer, co-founder with me of, of Oliphant One. Um, did, you guys amazing, work, did you guys work together at Laredo? We work together at Cimarex, okay. actually. So okay. you're right. And that that's those connections that you yep. build. If there's, you know, a little bit of advice or things to think about, no matter where you are in your career, the people you're meeting today and interacting with, mm-hmm. you know, be a good human. 
Yeah. You know, get to know these folks, Mm -hmm. um, you know, show respect, earn respect, uh, do your best, all those kind of things that are going to help in this network building that we're all doing yeah. because you never know when you might want to pull on those strings to say, Hey, would you join me in this crazy adventure? And Bill and I started that relationship. I became impressed that he is one of the more entrepreneurial engineers that I had interacted with. And so I leave, I leave Simrex to go do this A and D thing at Laredo. Bill then ultimately leaves Simrex to go be a, a reservoir engineer, a VP at Panther Energy One. And then Panther sells. Panther Two is considering starting. I've now, I'm a year into my first question with Michael Stoltz. What's an A mm-hmm. share and a B share? And I'm beginning to get a feel for this private equity, you know, lease drill and flip model, and it's really exploding. So I'm thinking, okay. And there's there's a story of a group of us that were trying to put something together and and didn't quite. But Bill calls me up and says, Hey, I heard your other deal didn't quite materialize come talk to the guys over here at Panther. So I did. And uh, short story, we I joined, we built Panther. It was a Kane Anderson. Chuck was on our board. Oh, Chuck Yates, yeah. for those, uh, who know Chuck Yates, you may have heard of him. He's uh, He's been in the oil patch for a while. He's got a bit of a reputation. I think he's looking for a job. Looking for a job. I think you actually missed him by but, an hour. He was here earlier. Oh, was he? Yeah. yeah. So Chuck was on our board, Chuck and Mike Hines. And I got to know those guys through that adventure. And, and I happily say we took a 155 of uh, Kane's money and t- turned it into 863. So it was wow. a great wow. run. And so now, now what? And Bill and I said, you know, if we are ever going to start one of these things, we ought to do it now or we're going to miss the window. Yep. Roy and Barry. So Roy Grossman, COO, Barry Mullinex, CEO of Panther, became good friends and still are to this day. We talked to them and said, hey, what are your thoughts? Well, you guys want to be a part of a Panther three. He said, I think we're going to go spin off and try to do something. He said, yeah, I figured you would. <laughs> um, and they were very supportive, very encouraging mm-hmm. and continued to be helpful as we embarked on that adventure. Did they end up going off and doing Panther three? They did. Okay. They did. And, uh, and I think that's wrapped up now. And, uh, I, I think, I think Barry last I heard he was in Jordan, um, with the family <laughs> traveling and, uh, living his best life. Living his, and, and Roy Grossman is, has the biggest heart for little puppies and kitty cats and animals. He and his wife love their animals. They, you know, they've got, he's got one son and he's crazy over little kittens. And he and I kind of share a little bit of the lunacy of caring for our little pets. So yeah. anyway, <laughs> he, he's, he's doing all that, but, and uh, so, so Bill and I said, let's, let's give it a shot. We, we had a good run. We'd had some encouraging conversations and, uh, Jason McMahon and Scott Smetko of NCAP, the Dallas office, mm-hmm. I'd known for uh, a few years, and we continually talked about what if and and what if came. Mm-hmm. And so we, we put a team together, and NCAP funded us. We started Oliphant One, uh, went to the Delaware Basin. Uh, uh, I mean, in, in, a, in short order, we went from brand-new company with no office to setting up an office, painting the walls, setting up servers, you know, kind of like what you guys Mm -hmm. have done here, (laughs) creating from scratch, which if you've never done that, people don't realize, man, there's a lot to do. It's a lot of work. Like (laughs) there's a huge (laughs) checklist you got to go through. There is. Who pays the electric bill? How does this work? You know, I mean, you're fundamentally building from zero. Yeah. And so we, June of 17, we had zero. 
by August of 17, we had a functioning office with desks and computers and software and data. By September, we had acreage. And by November, we drilled a well. Wow. And that was out in the Delaware Basin. So this little team came together, spud, and by a year into our adventure, we had three wells in the ground, two producing, one waiting on completion and inbound interest to exit. And frankly, I'm looking at the three X at mm-hmm. that point saying, yeah, there we go. We're going to start <laughs> and sell a company and do a three X in under 12 months. Rock and roll, baby. Add that to the resume. Here we go. <laughs> well, it didn't quite work out that way. Um, the market started crashing. Yeah. Uh, transactions for, you know, paying for PUDs was mm-hmm. diminishing, diminishing, diminishing. This is like the 15, 16 time frame? This is, so this would have been started in 17. I'm okay. now in summer of 18. By fall of 18 is when a, a lot of extreme inbound interest arrived mm-hmm. and then it cooled. Yep. And so now we're going into 19. We still haven't sold and we're going from 3X to 2X to 1X to, hmm, we going to at least get a 1X? Yeah. And by fall of 19, we ultimately did sell after a July of 19 meeting with our NCAP board, mm-hmm. which had been reduced during, you know, NCAP was going through its issues. And we've all seen yeah, the yeah. private equity. And that was all kind of coming to a head then. And in a, honestly, I think back on that meeting, we were amazingly jovial for the fact that the business model was failing. We weren't going to get the return that we had hoped for. Mm-hmm. And- so within CAPS, uh, in that discussion, we said, you know what, let's just do everything we can to sell for the best price possible. And so we, we did, we consummated a sale in uh, Q3 of, of 2019. And in October, the little Oliphant team was now amicably parted from NCAP. Mm-hmm. We were self-funded, which meant we're living off our own savings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, we, had, we had a little bit in our bank account that we uh, we managed, and uh, we began this adventure to say, least drill and flip is dead. Let's become PDP hunters. Let's try to buy right, operate efficiently, and create something that's sort of sustainable, returns capital to our investors through the sale of oil and gas, mm-hmm. yeah. not just a flip, but yep. efficient operating and cash flow. And, you know, can we do this? So that's, that was the beginning of Oliphant 2. That's yeah, so, awesome. You, know, you talk about kind of this uh, transition of how oil and gas companies operate because you started looking at, you know, when it started becoming clear to me, it's 2017 timeframe yep. that, hey, the private equity backed uh, drill and flip model is dead. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of people would come to that realization. You should have told yet. me back when I, before in 17, when I was starting, that. I said, Don, <laughs> stop. <laughs> so you started seeing the writing on the wall that that was happening. And obviously everything that happened in the last, you know, especially 2020, I mean, it was just nail in the coffin, right? Oh man. And the conversation has completely changed of, Hey, what does it take to be a good, oil and gas company that lives within cash flow and can pay investors dividends instead of hoping for that exit that, you know, we had Case Van Toff, CFO of Diamondback on the show. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you hear this, you know, one of the larger independents talking about having the same mindset, you know, everyone from the top down is talking about it. Hey, how do we actually operate a sustainable business instead of trying to drill and flip? So, and it's, 
I think you said at the beginning of the show, you know, you guys weren't a traditional company, but then you corrected yourself you're like, well, maybe we are traditional because kind of, it's like we almost forgot how to operate an oil and gas company. Exactly. Right. And so exactly. now we're going back to the old way. Back of, to the basics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's actually, I hadn't thought of framing it that way until this conversation, yeah, yeah. but it's like, Hey, it's like we had this 10 year gap of where we, we just kind of got drunk at the party. Right. And, and had a little too much booze. We need to go back to the, the way things were before and have a sustainable operation yeah. and, you know, maintain PDP and operate within cash flow. And it's, um, you know, I think a lot of people had to come to Jesus meeting last, or, you know, last year and right, kind of right. force them into that. But how did, you know, how does that change, you know, from y'all's perspective, the operations, you know, you go from being backed by NCAP, having that private equity model, mm-hmm. you know, high growth and production. Now you're saying, Hey guys, look, we're, we're doing it all wrong. We got to go about it this way. Has that been a uh, hard transition for the the team to kind of get in that mindset? This episode is brought to you by Datagration. Now we've partnered with these guys over the last probably five months so far. The reason we did is because if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you know that data management is probably one of the biggest issues that we see in this industry. If you don't have a strong foundation, if you don't have clean data sets, if you don't have data that you can work with, how do you expect to really get any work done? You know, and so Petrovisor, which is the, the platform that Datagration has built, is really enabling the end user. It's the engineers, it's the geologists, anybody else who's crunching data to be able to do a lot more with a lot less. It's really, really difficult to go and hunt down data in a bunch of different data silos and spreadsheets and, and paper that needs to be manually inputted. These guys have already automated all of the workflows for you to make it extremely simple. It's really, really powerful. And I know they have a ton of really, really big announcements coming out soon. So we're so thankful for these guys for partnering with us over the last five months. If you really need to get your data management on lock, I would hit them up, reach out to the guys over at Datagration or go to datagration.com. No, honestly, not a hard transition, but it is a, a material change. Yeah. You know, it's it's true. I I... I I very affectionately think back when we started Oliphant One, you know, with NCAP, we had a $300 million line. Yeah. Uh, and to think, here are 12 humans saying, we're going to go start a business. And we have a backer who says, you got a $300 million line to invest. What the heck? <laughs> How is that real? Right. Mm-hmm. But it was. Yeah. And it was materially real. And you had a lot of wealth created and you had opportunities for young and old entrepreneurs, men and women who said, I can do this. And there was this flow of cash and there was a, you know, it's kind of the classic oral patch story that we, we revisit time and time again, where there is a lack of a resource. There's a, you know, huge demand and people need oil and the price has gone up in the good old supply and demand curve way. And then people go and say, well, let's apply ourselves and see if we can't find more supply. And we do. And then the price crashes. Mm -hmm. But in that window, we were inventing, well, the shale, you know, the, the George Mitchell and the whole mm-hmm. history that we all are aware of, kind of of horizontal drilling and fracking and the shale plays, hit maximum crescendo, and it created this opportunity. But then that opportunity or that, that gap was filled, that resource was realized, and now it's not, it's not the big gold rush. Yeah. It's the operational efficiency. So we, again, back to the... My, my summer of 19 meeting with the NCAP guys, we're sort of saying, hey, Lee Sterling Flip is dead. We see it. You see it. How do we partner with you 
to create value in this private equity model. And the return needs are higher than a traditional PDP buy can uh, yeah. provide. Yeah. So as we, uh, as we parted, you know, the, the, was the reinvention hard? I mean, no, it, 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 the, the logical answers to these questions are something you can figure out relatively quickly. Yeah. It's the execution that becomes difficult. Yeah. And so for us, uh, we started evaluating in October of 19, um, evaluating assets that would come to market. We'd say, well, what's our cost of capital? What's the revenue stream this thing is going to produce based on strip? Because that's the only thing we could hedge. So whether it's right or wrong, it's still a, yeah. a calculable. It's still the benchmark. Yeah. It's a benchmark. <laughs> yeah. It's a revenue stream you can factor in. So we got cost of capital, revenue, G&A burn. What's that going to be? Well, we kind of said to ourselves, it's not going to be what it was. So how low can we go and have a team that's got a job and, you know, cover your mortgage and, and be happy with a paycheck. Yeah. So we, we kind of had to reduce that and we did. Yeah. Um, in fact, we started 2020 with our team of nine saying minimum wage, 24 hours a week plus benefits. I love it. That's your salary. And <laughs> with that plan, we could last to about May of 2020. And then if we didn't make it past May, if we didn't do an acquisition, we're done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're folding up the tent. So Okay, everybody, we're all motivated. Let's, uh, <laughs> Go let's make try. It <laughs> so, so that's really, we were looking at assets, bidding based on a financial model, not a, we have to win. And we were losing and losing. And we lost 11 times. And then the 12th one came up and uh, we got to the second round. We, we did the pencil sharpening that everybody always asks you to do. It's like, ah, oh, stop with that. But anyway, <laughs> and uh it's not the fun part. <laughs> yeah. And so we sharpened and like, oh man. And we, uh, and so what, what was the analysis we're doing now? We're not looking at this from what puds could we drill and create value that way. It's, man, how do we cut costs? How do we arrest the decline? How do we, you know, uh, what, you know, really in, in a lot of the equation was cost of capital. There were different capital sources we were having conversations with, and we were trying to manage who would come up with the capital and partnership with us and what was the cost relative to the asset and figuring all of that stuff out. So it became mm -hmm. very much a financial yeah. understanding along with operational, but we didn't really give a crap about what new wells we could drill because we weren't going to do it. We weren't going to do it. <laughs> so, you know, what was y'all's thesis going into this? You know, you're looking at buying PDP. What did y'all see as y'all's edge? You know, when you're doing PUDs and you're drilling. Right really relying on technical ability of the team, right? Yeah. You say, hey, we got the best team in cap. That's why you're going to give us $300 million to go drill and produce these wells. But when you're buying PDP, it's very much a, it's really easy business model, right? It's like, hey, this well's putting out, you know, 50 barrels. That generates, you know, this amount of revenue at, at this strip price. And yeah. what's our lease operating expenses? Subtract that, what's net? <laughs> and are that's we profitable it. or not? It's it's and kind so, of, and that's where I'm back to the logic of it is actually easy on paper. I mean, yeah. this, you know, hopefully design, and, and where, where are some of the variables? Your projected decline on your individual wells. I mean, that's yeah. a, it's a bit of an art, but let's be honest, most reservoir engineers with certain, you know, B factors and understanding, you're all going to be within a reasonable range. Yeah. And, yeah. but- what you're also assessing is what's the risk that that forecast has a materially adverse 
event occur, something happens, the well waters up. I mean, whatever yeah. that yeah. that uh, uh, you know, catastrophic, catastrophic, yeah. or yeah. or maybe even maybe even somewhat predictable yeah. if you study offset well. So we tried to be good at that. We tried to understand mm -hmm. the risks from a purely technical standpoint to the performance of the wells. And then, as you say, ultimately digest the financial information down to saying, okay, what's the net? Mm -hmm. And then of that net, how do we pay to pe keep people employed and return something attractive to our investors? Yeah. Those are the questions. Yeah. And they really are kind of simple. Yeah. Um, hard to execute. Hard to execute. So yeah. we just, that's, so I, I you, you asked the question, well, what gave us an edge? I don't know if, I don't, I wouldn't assert that we're any better or more special than anybody. We're not. Yeah. Um, but we at least focused, I think, on the right things mm -hmm. and really scrubbed those hard to understand <clears throat> how that would work to the financial models. Because at the end of the day, too, I'm, this isn't a paycheck any of our team was writing, we had to have financial partners to make this work. Yeah. So I've got to be able to not only explain to them the benefits of this investment, but I've got, I, I dang well better believe it myself and better understand it really well because <laughs> yeah. I don't want to screw up yeah. and, and not deliver to these guys. Yeah. And uh, so that's, so, that's what we yeah. focused on. So to do this effectively, I know you said you, you, you started off with nine people. You have 12 people now? Uh, we had 12 uh, when we did Oliphant 1, but we okay. had some folks that said, hey, I'm, we're going to go do some other adventures. So okay. nine stayed for this ridiculous minimum wage adventure that was, <laughs> you know. So to do that, I mean, you, crazy. you got a small team, you got a yeah. well-oiled machine. Like what's the, walk me through kind of like the breakdown of the team, like who's doing what kind of thing. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, uh, one geologist. I don't. I'm, I don't count myself as a geologist anymore. I'm. I'm the dead weight of the company, uh, and and uh, so we have one one geologist who works remotely. He's actually based in Spokane, Washington. But he was an army. Spokane, Washington. Yeah, he was wow. an army captain. He was with us. Uh, all of these folks were with us in, at Oliphant One. He's got to be uh, the only oil and gas geologist in Spokane, Washington. I think I he might well be. Assume. He needs yeah. to do a podcast. Life is an oil and gas geologist from this state. Spent five years as a kid living in Washington State. So, you did? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, outside of Seattle. But uh, I imagine anyone in uh, Spokane is just not a hot and heavy uh, oil and gas activity. <laughs> you know, his, he goes to oil and gas meetings and they, he hosts them in his house and he is the only one that attends. You know, But, but, but Jesse Gilman is a, was an army captain. He's a conquer the hill kind of guy. And uh a degree actually in geological engineering. So he is he is the perfect individual for understanding PDP acquisitions. He yeah. he knows the geology, but he knows what matters and he kind of gets it all into a, a a nice concise package. So and and with his just personal character, discipline is not a problem for Jesse Gilman. Mm -hmm. So I don't care where in the world he is, if we need something, I mean he's right there and he yeah. delivers. So <laughs> So, and he's, his family is from there and that's why we, we mm -hmm. made Love that it. deal. So he's in Spokane. We've got uh, Bill Martin who has stayed with his COO and two in reservoir engineers that work with him, Tate Pope and, and uh, Tyson Mosley. So that team is running Aries. You know, they're doing all the engineering workforce mm -hmm. and the evaluations and the operations, uh, keeping track of it. Adam Robinson is, uh, is uh, our, was our VP of land. He's now president. Adam is Adam. When, when 
my gray hair falls all the way out and I'm just too old and feeble to do anything. Adam <laughs> is the clear heir apparent to running the Oliphant into the future. And yeah. frankly, that's our goal to yeah. create an enterprise that has a long life and a, and, you know, legacy jobs and is a part of the community. Yeah. But Adam, Adam is our president and, and sort of VP of land and legal as well. And, uh, works with that. Todd Harrell's our CFO. Todd's phenomenal. He's, he is a CFO who can think big picture and get his butt deep into the weeds. Yeah. So, which what you have you to do in a small company like oh, yeah. that. Everybody's sure. got, you know, I, I, I carry out the trash. Um, yep. uh, so I do have, I do have a purpose, um, in, in the, in the company, but Todd with <laughs> Kathy Evans on, on the, um, uh, accounting side to, to help out. And then we've got June post who is our HR, uh, gosh, what do we, we make up title. So it's all VP of HR. Let's <laughs> it's say. Arbitrary, I don't, right? yeah, June. <laughs> but June, uh, it's funny when we were, I'll sidebar to this. First of all, HR is a real thing, and we're so grateful to have June manage all of that and, and mm -hmm. everything else alongside with that with us. And she's been a, a partner since the beginning. In fact, she was at Panther with okay. us, and she came along. But as we were painting the offices, uh, we told everybody, look, everything needs a coat of paint, but here's the deal. You can pick whatever color you want, but you'll have to paint it. <laughs> and uh, June said, can I have a pink office? And I said, Yes. I've always wanted to have a pink office. It's just a real girly office. Okay, June, you've got it. So we have a pink office in there. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. June's. Uh, I like and June. <laughs> June's awesome. Oh, she really is. And uh, I think I think that's the team. So that that is that's who uh, built Oliphant too. And uh, we all are willing to do everything. I mean, that's the culture. Yeah. I was talking to somebody else about this. Um, we're not the same. None of us are really the same kind of. Uh, personality, mm -hmm. skill set. Yeah. We're not duplicates, we're complements. Yeah. And we challenge each other and that's the culture we like to have. I mean, if you're in the room and we're talking about something or we're debating a, a path forward and you're in the room, you're expected to speak because yeah. you're, and you don't have to agree. In fact, if you don't agree and you don't say something, that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, speak your mind in a constructive way yeah, for us to try to get the the right solution, I'll I'll sidebar back to Jesse a little bit, and he and I being the two, him the real geologist and me the once was, um, we will sometimes uh, he will challenge me sometimes, and I love it, and we'll argue, and sometimes I, you know, I told him, and it it happens. If you point out where I'm wrong, and my gosh, I'm going to be grateful for that. I don't want to I don't want to win a dang argument. When I'm wrong, I <laughs> want to us as a team to get things right. So yep. that's the culture we've tried to foster mm -hmm. at, at Oliphant. I think that's yeah. I think that helps make yeah. us work. So yeah. before we got on the mic, we were yeah. we were talking a little bit about how you know most people think about the industry. Uh, you know, it's the super majors and then the public EMPs oh, right. and guys like that, and that's not really reflective of the bulk of the industry. But I think also in that same conversation, so many people think that you just can't make money in oil and gas. Mm. And especially, you know, starting an EMP. And what I love about this conversation is you're proving that that's obviously not the case. You can Absolutely. make money in this business. You can create a free cash flowing EMP. Yes. You know, and I think that gives hope to anybody yeah, who is just like, you know, we were back in the day of right. like, hey, let's go out and do our own operation. There's so many people out there that have the bug to start their own EMP. I mean, a lot yeah. of people want to do it. It's funny. We have so many innovative technologies come on the show. Yeah. But 
what really sits with our audience is people like when we talk to someone who's started an EMP because everyone has that dream of, Hey, I want to go out, I want to buy some wells and I want to be an oil man. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think that when you looked at the past decade, it could be discouraging because you're like, Oh, you know, there's no room for someone that wants to be a small operator and operate within cash flow. You have to be able to go sit in the boardroom of NCAP, Blackstone, get a $300 million commitment right. and you got to drill 20,000 foot horizontal wells. You know, that's pretty daunting task. Correct. For, for most people, right? I mean, one oil well, we have, we've thought about this probably all together at, at one point, you know, you drill a single horizontal well, you're talking about back a couple of years ago, let's use a round number, a $10 million investment. Mm -hmm. Now think of that in terms of your, the average person out there saying, I'm going to start a business. A $10 million business is a big deal. Yeah. Yep. And yet we're talking about one well. Yeah. One well is bigger than most of the yeah. <laughs> businesses that are down here in Houston. It's so mm -hmm. capital intensive. Capital I mean, intensive. Yeah. So it, this- You're banking on that one well too. It's like- Yeah, <laughs> our gotta, scale yeah. is crazy. You know, we we don't even yeah. appreciate the fact that you're sitting in a room saying, all right, how about 100 million, 150 million? Wait, those are a lot of dollars. Yeah, we just throw those numbers. Yeah. We, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a great point. We throw, I mean, you go out to these pads on West Texas, and I mean, you got five, 10 well pads. And if you just take, it's like, okay, you know, each one of these wells is eight to $10 million. And you start to really understand the scale of capital yes. deployed in the space. And so that was a barrier for a lot of people okay. starting yep. an oil yep. and gas company over the last 10 years. But, um, you know, I've always said that there's a ton of opportunity in, in the niches for people to create a business, um, especially given what happened in 2020, mm -hmm. what you guys did. I think the best businesses are built in downturns out of any industry. Dude, it was Not a wicked, gas. wicked roller coaster ride though. Yeah. So No, no, trust me. <laughs> we, went, we went full time yeah. on digital walk headers two yeah. weeks before oil prices went negative. Okay, there you go. We exited our other startup. We said, hey, look, we, We're all we in talked on to this. advertisers. We can start generating revenue with the podcast. Let's go in. Two weeks later, oil prices go negative. No one had advertising dollars. Exactly. And so okay. guess what? We put our heads down. We went to building and not going to sugarcoat it. It was fucking hard. Yep. It was tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Went through some dark times. Yep. But you if you have the resilience Survived to get it. through that. Yeah. You know? If you have the resilience to get through that, yep. get exactly on the other right. side, there's opportunity. Dark right? times are actually, I hate to say it, and I don't want to be masochistic, but they're they're so good. So there's something because you're it. on the edge of, <laughs> you know, ending. It makes me feel alive. And you're it fighting. It makes me feel alive. Like, I'm like, it gets my adrenaline going. There's it's something so funny to because that. as someone who fights, you mm -hmm. know, I go in these matches and, you know, get an adrenaline rush, but I get the most adrenaline rush from business. Like, I love knowing that, hey, any day could be the last day of the business. Yeah. And so it's like those dark times. It's like, if you can find out how to thrive and embrace them. It is. Sur and survive it without going crazy. I mean, yeah. to be honest, you know, not, <laughs> yeah. not being so afraid that you're frozen. Yeah. But just kind of building that confidence. You know, the, the, I think the, the power of getting through a dark time mm -hmm. is that when a new one approaches, you now have behind you this uh, experience that says, well, I got through it before. It's not my first mm -hmm. Maybe I'll get through it again. Mm -hmm. I don't know how. Yeah. It's scary as heck. But I'm gonna. I'm just gonna keep fighting till I have no more fight in me. And that of Look, that is what's across this oil patch, right? That's why we love our community. And if you are young, wanting to be in the oil patch, word to the little audience out there: 
do it, man. Do it if for nothing else to be a part of a community of people who says, we're going to find a solution. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't go be a part of some community that sits around going, who's going to help me? That's what I love about oil and gas is the grit and tenacity <sighs> of everyone in the industry. And we from, should encourage each other the to top, keep that up. From man. the top mm-hmm. to the bottom. Absolutely. I mean, it's a trait. It is everyone in the industry. It is. And you talk, it's like, like freaking cockroaches, man. Like you can't kill us. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I embrace a cockroach. He's yeah. still around, he's around <laughs> for billions of years. Man. Yeah. Cockroaches are cool. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, this, this industry is just, that's an inherent trait in the industry. But I think that there's just so much opportunity in the oil and gas industry, especially I'm naturally a contrarian okay. and, you know, this time last year, oil and gas was as good as dead. It was yeah. never coming back, right? And I knew that wasn't the case. I know. I know. It's but, actually when you are the con- – and you see that extreme, yeah. you're like, my gosh, this is opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah, Everyone's in panic and I'm, I'm going bold. There's blood in the streets. You go in. Yeah. And look, you know, we're kind of past that dark of a time. Right. But still – Billions and billions of dollars flowing into climate tech, renewables, ESG, oil and gas, the redheaded stepchild over mm-hmm. here. I'm like, look, if you're, you know, 30, 40, 50 year old, there's still a lot of time to make something happen here in oil and gas. And so it's encouraging to hear, you know, someone like yourself that say, like, one, I think you're the only person I've met that personally that's, you know, was private equity backed. After that model ended, like, hey, we got to reinvent ourselves Reinvent. and you stay fluid. Yeah, I love that. You stay fluid and you pivot. <laughs> like, that's, you know, sit around and cry and like, oh, shit, there's no one to liquidate to. There are no more $300 million commitments. It's like, no, pay ourselves minimum wage. We go find an asset, put some debt on it, acquire it, and let's go. Yeah. I yeah. love it. I, I think, yeah. And maybe philosophically, just sort of trying for all of us, trying to be aware enough of what's real to not delude yourself into something that's not going to work. Now, Mm -hmm. sometimes you think it's real and you are delusional, but as long as you're not intentionally delusional, (laughs) you got got a better chance. But yeah, trying to be real and then not, it's it's repeating a theme here, but not whining about the new reality. Examining it, try your best to understand it, and then figure out a way to thrive in it. Yep. You know, that's, yep. that's a healthy way to go, right? It's just you, you always feel like you're, all right, what I used to think doesn't apply anymore. I've got to think something new or I'm just going to get frustrated. And yeah. there's, no, there's no value in that. So for any of those young bucks out there who, I mean, this is still the dream. Okay. What, uh, you know, what advice or what things did you wish that you had kind of known, like kind of coming into it mm. to help their journey just a little bit more? Yeah. Doesn't even have to be oil and gas specific, you know, just yeah. from leadership to building a team, anything that you've learned along the way. I'll tell, I'll tell you, yeah, there's, there's a couple of things. I've seen, I've seen some young folks do this and it's something I was too scared to do in my younger years. And that is ask advice. Mm. Um, you know, gray hairs like me love to talk to young folks and say, let me tell you, son, here's how it, <laughs> here's how it goes. And I was, I was too insecure, I think, as a younger guy to seek much advice because I thought, oh, I better go figure it out. And I don't want to admit I don't know. And then I think I matured and realized, oh, I don't know a lot. 
And yeah. so in later in life, I'm very quick to say, hey, you just use a term I don't understand. What, you know, what's an A-share? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but those young folks who honestly have the confidence to say, I don't know when they don't and to seek advice and to walk around and just, you know, anybody in, in, in the business or in life that they admire, go ask them for, for 30 minutes of their time, buy them coffee and say, what would you, how would you advise me to be successful yep. in my business or in life or whatever? So that, that's one angle. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is, and we talked about this a little bit about things that scare you. If you're evaluating your own career path and you've got a fork in the road and there's the safe path and there's the one that scares you and that you know it'll help you grow if you succeed, but you might fail. I don't want to tell you, take that because then you may fail and you're like, that son of a bitch. He directed me the wrong way. <laughs> but be aware of, of that fork and, and contemplate what the gains could be if you do uh, succeed and what the cost would be if you do fail. And don't just dismiss that, that scary opportunity because if it works, you are going to be better for it. Yeah. And if it fails, you're still probably going to be better for it. You just might be poorer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You might, might but, have lost yeah. some money along the way. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's just such part a, of the process. Yeah, that's such a good way to look at it. You know, I, we were talking about that before we got on the microphone and was talking about, you know, that feeling of butterflies that yeah. means that change is coming and, you know, change, you put yourself in those uncomfortable situations. That's where you grow. You bet. And it is. if you're stagnant, complacent, you're not growing. And so you got to put yourself out there in uncomfortable positions and go yeah. for it. So it's great advice. Man. I love that. Yeah. Hey, this entire episode was fantastic. I'm sure that there's awesome. going to be a ton of people that yep. are listening to it. Um, you know, you've really uh, kind of set out, set out the path for them and show them how it can be done. And to be honest, it's a breath of fresh air to hear uh, someone come in here and be optimistic about building an oil and gas company. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm rooting for you guys. Thanks, man. No, really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I've, I've jokingly, my wife and I don't have any children. We have cats. <laughs> but by not having that generation to follow me, you know, biologically, I've never had to grow up. So yeah. I'm still the kid. <laughs> and I think I'm going to die as the kid, which means I'm always going to be hey, what's the new thing we can go do? Love and, it. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, not to say, you know, parents are sometimes forced into a, a level of maturity that I've never had to do. So, yeah. uh, uh, but um, uh, God yeah. bless parents too. I love that. You know, don't get me wrong there. But, but the yeah. Cats, the cats don't look at you the same way as the well, kids might. Right? And, and really, I guess what I'm saying is hold on to that excited sort of, if you want to call it youthful or just, a grateful approach to life and opportunities before you and just, just embrace them and recognize, yeah, you're going to get knocked down a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Part, of the, part of the deal. No yeah. path is linear. I think that's a lie that we've all been told that it's mm. just, ah, we're just going to go straight to the top. But in reality, there's all sorts of obstacles you've got to overcome yep. along yep. the way. And that's natural. It, it you know, is. You grow through adversity. I think the the major benefit of completely failing and, even hitting rock bottom mm -hmm. is like you said, once you're rock bottom, you can't really go much lower than that. <laughs> and once you're used to it, it's like, well, now I'm just going to take bigger and bigger swings. Yes. You know, and eventually one of those swings is going to pay off, you know? So okay, I have to, I have to, I know we're probably out of time, but let me end on this little yep. story. I, when I moved to Tulsa at the time, so my wife was still in Oklahoma city and uh, I got this job, I'm going to do this thing. Uh, and I thought, Hmm, let me revisit. So I got a one bedroom apartment 
And I said, honey, I think I'm going to revisit my college poverty days. So I got a one-bedroom apartment. I put a mattress on the floor. I got one lawn chair as my seat, and I got a radio. <laughs> I didn't even give myself a TV. And for six months, I lived like that in my new job. And what it reestablished for me and what I was trying to do was, especially I'd been through right four layoffs at Marathon. I didn't mm -hmm. know what was coming in the future. What do I need? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I discovered, my gosh, how lucky am I to have a roof, heat and air, enough money for food. I got a place to sleep. It's clean. I got a radio so I could listen to talk radio and call into talk shows and, <laughs> and just, you know, practice that little skill set. That's a whole nother podcast. But it was empowering mm -hmm. to realize I don't need very much. Yep. And all the excess is gravy. It's fine to enjoy it. Don't focus on it. And, you know, it was, it was sort of a, a, a nice little Let's do a little check on where yeah. we're going here. It's like, okay, I'm comfortable. I love how this you, isn't so you bad. force yourself into that. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And I think that's, that's so timely too, because I think one of the silver linings of 2020 is that our generation kind of had that same realization. I can't tell okay. you how many friends that I've had that have either, you know, sold their houses and are now kind of Airbnb kind of bouncing around the okay. country yep. or getting into an RV and kind of moving around and mm -hmm. doing that whole thing. And so I think they're kind of embracing minimalism in a way yes. yeah. and kind of just experiencing a little bit more of life at the same time. So I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't need a whole lot to live. You really don't. Yeah. You really don't. It's just so easy it to get is. caught up with the Joneses and people I need are, the, people I need the new business. Ferrari and I need the mansion in River Oaks and, and that's all gravy and that's fine. That's right. Um, but it's, that shouldn't be like an anxiety in your life that I've got to get to this. And I've oh, got to get I to know. That. You're, you're, you'll put yourself in prison if that's what yeah. you have to do. Because that game never ends. The, the hedonic treadmill never ends because no. once you reach a certain level, it's new heights. It's, it's yeah. all sorts of new things that you're always yeah. going to need. So Don't look at those guys, whatever comes yeah. your way, be grateful for gratitude. Yeah. Gratitude, Absolutely. man. There's, there's the word that's yeah. how that you live a life of gratitude. You're going to be happy no matter what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really true. Well, this is, uh, just full of golden nuggets. So <laughs> people want to find you. You're on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm LinkedIn. Sure. All right, perfect. Uh, we'll drop a link in the uh, the notes. I think this episode, it's golden. You know, we talked about mm -hmm. Jake had that SPE uh, when he went to that event. He had all these notes because we started the podcast around. Oh, that yeah, time. that's so cool. So we're going to get all these guys so on the show. Cool. So, you know, two and a half years later, uh, we, we finally hunted you down and got you on the show. So appreciate you taking the time to do it, man. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for the invite. It's yeah. been fun. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. All right, guys, take two seconds. This was an amazing episode. Uh, send this over to your friends. Send it to everybody at your company. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Come, 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 come.